Uh, we're continuing our series from the Old Testament, uh, a series called A Word from the Prophets. And I want us to begin by looking so far at what we've learned from these prophets so far. Uh, we found that Habakkuk has urged us to trust and obey in God, that Zephaniah tells us that, that God sings about our salvation. Uh, three times from Jeremiah, we've been encouraged that nothing's too hard for our God, that God is the one who guides me, and that there is a bomb in Gilead. We learn from Haggai that we are to keep our focus on the Lord God Almighty, who's great and in his glory, particularly to remember that when we're going through some very difficult times. Zechariah declares to us that God loves to delete our guilt. And then last week we saw how Ezekiel leads us to where the deep waters of the Holy Spirit flows. So I want us to return back to Jeremiah for a fourth time today. And I want us to look at the subject of being shaped by God. Jeremiah, like Isaiah and Zechariah and Paul, are writers who talk about God as the potter and you are the clay. What a beautiful picture, right? God's the potter, you are the clay. Like Elijah and John the Baptist and David, Jeremiah finds himself in his life at a period in time of where he is very, very discouraged. The shape of these men's life did not go exactly the way they thought it would. It's not turning out the way they thought. David was so discouraged because he was constantly being hounded by King David pursuing him, that David just cries out one day, Saul is going to kill me. There's nothing to stop him. All along, David knew that he was the next anointed king that was going to take Saul's place, but he becomes so down that he thinks that Saul is going to kill him. David did not envision the life that he was called to, shaped to, to be the next king, would take this route of where he'd be a fugitive on the run for nearly 10 years. Elijah the one who had that great victory over those hundreds of false prophets. You remember that story? Has that great victory, but then has to run for his life because Queen Jezebel puts a death sentence on his head. You know what Elijah does? He's so discouraged. He's so down. He gets underneath the tree and he prays to God, God, kill me now. Just take my life. Now here's Elijah. His life didn't shape up the way he thought it should. He's the one who'd stopped the rain for three and a half years. He's the one who had the victory over those false prophets. He's the one who has the rain start back again. And yet here he finds himself hunted and hounded by Queen Jezebel. Elijah is discouraged because the shape of his life didn't turn out the way he thought it would. And then you think about John the Baptist who preached to the multitudes. Now notice John didn't have to go to the multitudes. They came to him out in the wilderness to hear him preach. And he preaches and he baptizes Jesus. And he tells the people, this is the Christ, the Lamb of God. He's the one I've been prophesying about, the one that I'm the forerunner to. And he does that. And John the Baptist has an incredible amount of courage. So he's able to stand up to King Herod and Herodias and say, you're living in sin. What you're doing is sinful. And he's courageous and faithful in presenting God's word. What happens to John the Baptist? He's put in jail. He's left there all alone. His life is not shaping up the way he thought it would. I mean, I'm the forerunner that was prophesied in Malachi. I'm the one talked about in Isaiah. I'm the one that proclaimed that Christ is coming. I'm the one that stood up for the word of God. And here I am in this jail day after day, day after day, month after month, discouraged. 
he finally reaches out to Jesus by a messenger. And he says, Jesus, are you really the one? Are you really the one or should we wait for somebody else? You see, life did not take the shape for David or for Elijah or for John the Baptist the way they thought it would. And just like Jeremiah, Jeremiah faithfully prophesies for years to Israel. Israel, you need to repent. You're violating God's word. You are living in sin. You, if you don't repent, you're going to be destroyed as a nation. And what do they do? Israel hardened their heart. They became more stubborn. They didn't listen. In fact, they persecuted Jeremiah on three different occasions. Jeremiah's life did not turn out the way he thought it should. It's not shaped the way he thought God would shape him. I'm going to tell God's word directly to the people. It's going to be directly to them. The people will listen, they'll repent, and will save the nation. That's the life that Jeremiah thought was shaped for him. But it was so far different from that, so much so, so discouraging that Jeremiah told God, I'm never opening my mouth and never saying a word of prophecy to these people again. Their life did not turn out the way they thought it would. Maybe you know someone like that, or perhaps you're that someone today who can relate to those men. Your life has not quite taken the shape that you thought it would. But I want to tell you something this morning. God is not finished with you. He is still shaping you, and he's not through with you yet. And at the close of this lesson, you know I'm going to tell you from Philippians 1 verse 6? God is not finished with you. God is still shaping you, and he's not through with you yet. What, what a great picture we have here, don't we? This beautiful picture of how God shapes the life. He's the potter, we're the clay. You know, we're far removed from that time of the potter in that ancient potter's house during Jeremiah's time. Man, that was a great story you shared about your friend that's the potter. You know, today if we want to buy potter, we can go to someone like Lynn's friend or we can order it online or we can get it from the store. But very few of us really understand the process that it took for a potter during Jeremiah's day to turn that lump of clay into a usable container. So I think for just a moment, I would like to share some of that process. The first part of that process is called the gathering process. The potter would go out and he'd dig up the clay. Then he would set it aside to let it weather and acclimate to the environment. Next thing he would do is that he would pour water on it after it had weathered. And he would then use that and he would mix it into the clay. And the more he mixed it into the clay, then separation occurred. What would happen then is that the rocks and the hidden objects and things that are inside the clay that are impure and unclean would begin to rise to the top and he would pull them out of there and continue to prepare the clay. But that's not all it took. He would then put the clay on the floor, on the ground, and he would start stomping on it. And he'd stomp on that clay more and more. And the more he stomped on it, more hidden images and impurities and objects and hard areas of that clay would begin to rise. He would pull that out even more. So that gathered clay now, after going through the watering, the separation, and through the stomping, he now sets aside, and he doesn't touch it for six months to let it cure. After that six months, he then goes to the second stage, and that's the shaping process. That potter takes his tools and the wheel and begins to shape. The potter would use a leather cloth and a knife and a wire cutter and would use uh, needles and carvers and scrapers and rolling pins and put that on the wheel and center it and shape it into the, to what the potter desired for that container. And the third process was the finishing process. Now that he has shaped what he wants, 
he now takes it and puts it into the firing process to where it's put into the fire and taken back out. It's now been dried, but he's not through yet. He continues to clean the container. He removes and makes it smooth. And then he puts his coat of colors and the glaze that he wants on it and puts it in the fire again. And this time when it comes out, it's finished, it's complete, it's usable for the potter. At the depths of Jeremiah's discouragement, when he thinks life is not taking the shape that I thought it should, God says, I want you to take a visit with me to the potter's house. And I want you to learn three lessons. I want you to learn three lessons. And here's what he told him, Jeremiah 18. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I'm going to give you a message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. They replied, verse 12, it's no use. We will continue with our own plans. We will all follow the stubbornness of our evil hearts. I think it's obvious to all of us that the central character of this story is the potter, right? It's the potter who's working. It's the potter who's shaping. It's the potter who determines what that lump of clay will become. So I think the first lesson that we're taught by God about shaping us is that We are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. God is at work shaping our life. In fact, verse 5 through 6 tells us that. He says, look, are you not the clay, Jeremiah 18, 5 through 6, are you not the clay in the hand of the potter? So you are in my hands, O Israel. I'm the potter. You're the clay. I'm shaping your life. I thought about that word shape in life this week. Just think how many times the word shape is associated with life. If somebody gets in a very bad accident and they're really messed up, and we talk about that person, we say that person's in really bad shape, right? If someone's oftentimes talking about their finances, they'll talk about their finances being in pretty good shape or in good shape. When we talk about our physical health, we'll talk about being in good shape or needing to get in shape or that we are out of shape, right? If a person just goes over the top in their emotions and they just overreact way over the top, we say that that person is really bent out of shape, right? And some time ago, we used to say when a person was lazy and wouldn't work and wouldn't put out the effort to be better in their work, we would tell them to shape up or to ship out, right? So we are very familiar with the shaping of life associated with that. We don't know much about the old potter in the clay, but we use that term all the time, don't we? As potter, we are God's workmanship. He shapes us. Ephesians 2 verse 10. You know what you are? You are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, some of these translations don't use the word workmanship. They use the word masterpiece. You are God's workmanship. You are his masterpiece. Hear the value that you have. Hear the purpose that you have. Hear the uniqueness that you have. 
before the creation, before you are formed, God has certain works in mind for you to do. To be a useful container in his kingdom. I love that. And just like the potter has many different things that he can choose to make of that lump of clay on the wheel that has different functions and prices and purposes, so God shapes each and every one of us to do his will and to work in that. So we must learn, don't we, to submit and trust and yield so that the potter can work in us the shape that he wants us to be in order to use us. We sung the song just a few minutes ago, Have Thine Own Way. Remember that one? I love that one. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You are the potter. I'm the what? I'm the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting. Now here's a key word. Yielding, submitting, trusting, and still. The potter works diligently, thoroughly, and faithfully on that lump of clay to shape it into the container that he wants it to be. But you and I both know that this is not a smooth process. This is not an easy process. Clay is imperfect. It's unclean. It has impurities. It has hidden stones. It has hard areas in it that make it resistant to even the most experienced and skilled potter. And not only that, as the clay is on the wheel, there are imperfect conditions in the world. There's no such thing as perfect conditions. And the imperfect conditions of this world can also affect the outcome of the clay that's on the wheel. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, 28, we know that what? In everything that God does what? Works for the good of those who love him. God is a skilled potter. Nothing surprises him. He expects imperfection in us clay. He understands that this is not a perfect world we live in. That there is imperfection in the world. Which, yet he takes that into account in the process of shaping us and forming us. And he works it to our good. That doesn't mean everything that happens to you is for a reason. That is just not true. That's just a myth. Not everything in this world happens for a reason. Not everything has a reason. Not everything that happens to you is good. But notice the potter with his skilled hands and tools can take the good and the bad, the things that reason and those who have no rhyme of reason, put them all together, use it in the process to shape you into what you should be. That's beautiful, isn't it? That's what he does. Now, he does that for one purpose. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, that we have this treasure. Where? You're a clay pot. Tell the person next to you social distance that they're a clay pot. <laughs> You're a clay pot, all right? But what's in you? Treasure. You have this treasure in clay pots. Why? So that the awesome power belongs to God. It's revealed. And it doesn't come from us. Our purpose as the jar is not to be noticed, right? Hey, look at me. Look what I'm doing. Hey, hey, look over here. Look at this jar. No, our, our purpose is for people to see the power of God, the work of the master's hands and tools upon our life, shaping us. And to say, look at me 
how God's power is working in me and through me and for me and how his awesome power is on display. And every one of us get to do that. That's how God wants to shape us. That's the design. But Jeremiah learns a second lesson from going to the potter's house. Here's the second lesson. Life is not always that easy. Sometimes the potter has to reform the clay. Sometimes the potter has to reform the clay. He works on it, he works on it, but he has to reform it. It will not take the original design that God has in mind. Jeremiah 18, 3-4. The pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Now I want you to notice, the potter is not marred. The wheel is not broken. The tools are just fine. What is marred? What is imperfect? You are. The clay. The clay is imperfect, marred. It's not the fault of the potter in the shaping. Rather, there is something wrong with the clay that makes it resistant. In spite of the process of preparation and all the skills and the tools of the potter himself. And on that potter's wheel, the clay will not turn the way it should, and it resists. And as the wheel turns the clay, and the potter's trying to shape it, a hidden impurity, a hidden rock, or some small area of hardness makes it stubborn and resistant, and the clay gets off center, and then the potter has to take that lump of clay and turn it into something different in shape, but still totally usable. Now, first, what I love about that illustration is that God is that experienced, skilled potter, right? He's no amateur working on him. He's no weekend warrior. He's not someone who got a pottery kit for Christmas and decided to make all the bowls and cups for the family over the next few weeks, all right? This experienced, the greatest potter of all. And is an experience, he stays with the lump of clay, even when it resists and refuses to go to the original design. And so an amateur would see what happens here, take it and throw it away behind the house, never to use again. Not God. He doesn't give up on you. Instead, he reforms the clay, reshapes the clay into something different that can be useful to the potter. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God reforms a messed up life. Aren't you? I'm glad that God does that. Often, sometimes, when God is shaping you on the wheel of life, your impurity of jealousy, temper, and impatience resist. Sometimes on the wheel of life, when God is trying to shape you, the hidden stones of bitterness, of pride, and unforgiveness throw you off center of what God is trying to do. And sometimes when God has you on the wheel of life, your hard clumps of being offended, of unconfessed sin and stubbornness causes God to have to reform the shape that he originally intended. I think about that as God, as much as God wants to work the shape in one way, By our resistance, it can stop God's will. 
When we resist through those hidden impurities and those hidden rocks and those lumps in our life and we refuse to repent and we refuse to confess them, it keeps God from doing what he wants to do in our life and it requires change. Now, here's the good news. In this story, you don't get thrown away. See it? They're not thrown away. They're marred, but they're not thrown away. He reshapes the shape of that life into something different, but it's still usable and hear it. It's not just still usable, it's what's best for God. And I'm here to tell you what is best for God is what? Best for you. When he reshapes you and reforms you, you're not a second-rate citizen in the kingdom of heaven. You're not a disqualified citizen. Oh, at one time I could have been this, but now I can no longer be that. You're not second-rate. You're not second-best. You're not the leftover. When God reforms you and reshapes you, you are the best. That God wants you to be because that's what God will always have. So this reforming, this reshaping, thank God that he does this. Amen? It's so important. And so it could be the result of life's imperfections that keeps us from being the shape that we originally intended. How many of you went to college and majored in one thing and ended up going in something else? The number of people, high schoolers who are preparing for high school... Counselors guiding them. So important. What's going to be your major? Where do you need to go to school? And a large majority of them will never enter the profession that they major in. Life happens. Conditions change. None of us live in a perfect world. So some people who wanted to major in one thing and did, and were trained in it and shaped in it, spend the rest of their life doing something else. What about the person who chooses a career when they're younger? This is the career I'm going to be. How many of you have changed careers in your life? Let me see a show of hands. How many more than once, right? Life happens. Things change. COVID happens. Corporations downsize. Families get bigger. Life moves on, right? Life is not, when you were younger, I'm going to go in this career and I'm going to go right to the top. And now you are three careers later doing something else. You think about that. I think of the number of people who thought the shape of my life was going to be different than the way it turned out, right? And that's just the imperfect conditions. What about me as the imperfect clay with my resistance, my impurities, my hardness, my stubbornness, my refusal to repent? God does not give up on us if I will confess those and repent of those. He'll reform me for something different. And I always want you to remember, I've said this over and over again over the years. God does not have a blueprint for your life. He has a game plan. Your life is not a blueprint. It is a game plan. And I love that analogy. A blueprint can be modified, but it always has to stay the same thing. A game plan has variables and many, many different outcomes. Your life is not just one thing. God has created this variable game plan for you. So when you do mess up, God can reshape you. He can reform you if you repent and confess. And there's so many good things that can come out of that outcome. Oh, the shape of your life may look different than what you thought it was when it was going to be younger. But the shape of your life is still good. Because remember, God shapes you for what's best for him and for you. And that's why Paul tells in Philippians 2, don't ever give up. 
God's not giving up on you. Don't you give up on God. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to do what? To fulfill his good purpose. God's not finished with you. He's still shaping you. He's not through with you. He's reforming and shaping you. And I think most of us, when we think about God being the potter and shaping, we say, oh, yeah, I love that. God can change this. And God can change that. And God can change them. He's a great potter. He can shape this and that and them. Dear Lord, would you please reform my husband? Would you reshape my children? Would you change the attitude of my best friend? Dear God, would you change that person's mind? Would you change my bad grade I'm going to get this week? Would you change my career? Would you give me the promotion that I deserve? Would you change my boss's mind? We love to talk about God, the potter, who can change this and that and them. And he will. But you know, really, whom God is the most concerned about changing and shaping? (laughs) You and me. That's where it really matters. That's what counts. I I love the story in John 21. Jesus is fixing a breakfast of fish and bread. Doesn't sound good to me, but for fishermen, probably sounded pretty good. Fish along the the, the shoreline there, fishing, uh, making breakfast of fish. I can't even say it. Sounds like I'm going to Captain D's for breakfast, all right? Just doesn't sound right. Or like Taco Bell for breakfast. I don't get that one either, all right? But it's a different story. But anyway, he's making breakfast, and the apostles are fishing a huge haul because Jesus gave it to them, 100 yards offshore. They look up, and Peter sees Jesus around the fire cooking. Peter jumps out of the boat and joins Jesus around the campfire. The other disciples are left with the work. They're still mending the nets, getting the fish out of the net, preparing things. And they will join Jesus and Peter a little bit later on. But here's the good news. Peter and Jesus get this moment, one-on-one conversation. And remember, Peter had denied just a few days ago Jesus three times. And now he's sitting with Jesus, and I want you to see how Jesus reforms and reshapes him. A repentant heart, Peter, is reshaped and reformed, isn't he, by Jesus. Jesus says, look, I tell you, Peter, and he gives Peter an opportunity to say how he loves Jesus in three different ways. And then he tells Peter, you're going to be faithful You're being shaped to be faithful, so much so that at the end of your life, you're going to be a martyr, and you're going to die, and your death is going to bring glory to God. What a great reshaping, reforming, right? What would a person say in response to that? Well, meanwhile, John and the other apostles had made their way back up to the fire. Peter has just heard how Jesus is the one that has reformed and reshaped him and given this new purpose and What does Peter do? Peter turns around and says, what about John? What are you going to do about him? How's God going to change him? What's God going to do with him? And Jesus says, basically, it's none of your business what God does with him. I want you to learn to follow me. Pretty good advice, right? But so, so natural in our human spirit to not look at us. But see how God needs to change somebody else. 
Now, if you're hearing this message today, you're thinking, you know, my life is so messed up and I can never do this. I mean, there's no way God could shape my life for what I've done. I I want you to realize that's not God speaking to you. That's the devil. That's the devil. God wants to reform you, to reshape your life. And God can and will if you're willing to repent and change. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 5, to humble yourself before the Lord under God's mighty hand. And he'll do what? He's going to shape you, see? He's going to lift you up. Here's another song I love. Listen to the words of this, some of the words. Empty and broken, I came back to him. A vessel unworthy, so scarred from sin. When I stumbled, when I fall, he did not despair. He's the potter, I'm the clay. He started over again. He just picked up those pieces. And I blessed the day he didn't throw the clay away. I blessed the day. He didn't throw the clay away. So the first lesson is we are his workmanship. Second lesson is, right, how God just works in our life to reform us when we need to be reshaped. But here's a third lesson. You can refuse. You can refuse the potter's hand and tools. You can refuse it. Not all clay is designed to be molded into something. Not all clay can be usable. It's not that clay is predestined to never be used. It's not that the potter lacks the ability to turn that clay into a useful container. It's simply because, for whatever reasons we looked at today, the clay refuses to cooperate. The clay is stubborn. The clay is hardened and resistant to the potter's hand and tools. Listen to me. As much as God desires to save everyone, all people don't want to be saved. As much as God loves to shape and form people to do his works in the name of Jesus Christ, not every person wants to be shaped by God and to do the works of Christ Jesus. Like the clay, people can refuse to be shaped by God. And with the lack of repentance or the desire to yield to God's will, then the potter will have no choice but to take you off the wheel and discard you for destruction. You see, the message that God will shape and form you also has the message that if you refuse, if you refuse him, then he will discard you as well in destruction. That's both sides of that message. How does that happen? Well, look in Jeremiah 18, verse 12. Turn from your evil ways, each of you, and reform your ways and your actions. But they replied, it's no use. We will continue with our own plans. We will all follow the stubbornness of our own human hearts, our own evil hearts, rather. Time after time, God gives Israel the opportunity to repent and change. He works, he works, he shapes, he shapes, he reshapes, he reforms, he does everything he can, but Israel does not want to be saved. Israel does not want to be saved. So God takes them off the potter's wheel, and that nation is destroyed. They're destroyed Because they refused to change. They destroyed because they refused to repent. To turn of their evil ways. They continue to follow the evil in their hearts. I think that's the message here. In Proverbs 29 verse 1. This is a very eye-opening statement. Some people refuse to bend when somebody corrects them. Do you know anyone like that? You know what eventually happens? They will break. And there'll be no one to repair the damage. 
People who are trying to help them, people who are trying to correct them, are met with resistance and stubbornness, and the person refuses to bend. In fact, they become more hardened and more stubborn in their ways, don't they? And they don't see it by their hardness and by their stubbornness and by their stiff-neckedness, as the Bible calls it, and their rebellion. They're heading towards destruction. The damage cannot be repaired. Do you know someone like that? We need to pray for them, don't we? Because this is an area where they're refusing to be shaped by God's hand. And that type of warning is throughout the Bible. Repent and be saved. Today, when you hear the word of God, do not harden your heart. Do not be a stiff-necked, rebellious, stubborn people, but repent of your evil ways. The refusal. Now, the last process of the potter and the clay is the finishing process, right? So he takes the clay that's formed into a container and he puts it in the fire. Then he takes it back out of the fire, but he's not through with it. He continues to clean it. He smooths it out. Then he puts the colors and the glaze that he wants on that container. Then puts it back in the fire for a final time. And when that pot comes out, that container, it is now finished and it's ready to be used by God. I I think about the wheel of life, those imperfect conditions and the imperfect people that we are. God tells us through Peter that we are refined in our life by the, the impurities out of us, by the fires that we go through in this life. Amen? We all have different fires to go through. What's it do? It strengthens us. It determines the quality of our life. It gets rid of those impurities. It makes us ready. God's not through with us, though. He continues to smooth. He continues to clean. He continues to work with us. God does that for us. And I think about that. It's, it's not finished yet. It has to go through a second time. A second time. And I think about this when I look at what God has done for us. Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 3.13, Our works will be revealed with fire, and the fire tests the quality of a person's work. This life tests us. There's a reason for that test. To test the quality. Quality of your character. Quality of your work. Right? To test whether your faith is strengthened. To whether you have that hope you're supposed to have. To whether or not you're living with the Lord. But God's not through with you. He's still cleaning you with his mercy, isn't he? He's still smoothing you with his forgiveness. And he colors you and glazes you with his grace. So that when we all face the final process, we go through that finished, perfected, and completed in Christ Jesus. Amen? Is that wonderful? It's what God has done for us. And because you yielded and lived by God's will, you are permanently Get to live and made ready to live with God forever in heaven. And you will bless the day that God did not throw away the clay. Amen? Who's the potter? God. What are you? The clay. God is not finished with you. He is still shaping you. He's not through yet. Not through yet. Well, today... If you're listening to this sermon and you need to respond and you're online with us today, please write to the email address that's on the screen and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. If you're a member of our congregation and you're worshiping with us still online and you have a spiritual need, please contact your group leader, shepherd group leader, and they will get back to you as soon as possible. If you're here today and you need to speak to one of our elders that's here, please get with them after the closing prayer today and speak with them as well. In any way that we can help you, we'd be glad to. At this time, let's continue in our worship with a song and a prayer.